0: To Tales of Panem, Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 19 through 23 of Mockingjay, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. When Peta shows up at camp, Boggs pulls Katniss aside and warns her that Coin is starting to see her as a threat, likely sending Peta there in the hopes that he'd kill her. Katniss initially greets Peta with hostility, but after a call from Haymitch, she realizes she should be helping him rather than blaming him. The squad creates a game called Real or Not Real to help Peta sort out which of his memories have been altered. While filming Propo footage, Boggs triggers an unmarked pod causing an explosion that kills him. Before he dies, he transfers control of the Hollow to Katniss. Jackson tries to claim the hollow, but Katniss refuses, telling the squad that she is on a special assignment from Coin to assassinate President Snow. This isn't true, but Jackson agrees to go along with it. The Capitol believes that Katniss and her squad have been killed, allowing them time to sneak underground. However, while they were traveling down there, a swarm of mutts is released. The mutts kill the majority of the rest of their squad, including Finnick, leaving only Pollux, Cressida, Gale, Peta, and Katniss. They take shelter in a shop belonging to a former stylist named Tigris, who is part of Plutarch's network. Katniss confesses to the others that her mission to kill Snow was made up, and they reveal they all knew the whole time. While trying to sleep, Katniss overhears a conversation between Gale and Peeta about her, in which Gale states that he believes between the two of them, Katniss will choose whoever she can't survive without. Um. So we're nearing the end of this book, uh, which is simultaneously kind of sad because I really do love talking about this book and also these characters, but also very exciting because it means we're getting close to Ballad and. Like, isn't that what this whole podcast is about? Is getting prepared for that movie. Um, so I will be having a lot to say about that book. In terms of mocking Jay, we're kind of in the thick of it now. They're in the Capitol, everything's going crazy. And we're like they're where we end these chapters, they're so close. They're like five blocks from Snow's mansion. And so they're in kind of the end game of like, what's our final plan here? How do we get to snow now? there's obviously been a lot of death in this section like the majority of their squad is now dead and um most of that actually happens in one singular day which is obviously the day that starts with boggs's death and ends with them at tigris's shop all of that takes place in one day and that's a lot of people dead and a, and many of those people are people that katniss like knew or was close with or at least had worked with a lot obviously finnick being the biggest example about that and I'm not going to talk in too much depth about Phoenix's death because I did that already on my Finnick O'Dare episode, um, which you should go listen to if you haven't already. But at the risk of repeating myself too much, I'm going to not talk too much about his death. Also, because there's a lot of other things to talk about. And so we kind of got to <laughs> get through it. Um, but going back to that, the first thing I want to talk about is Boggs. Um, because he really, like, makes his impact on the story in this section, I guess. Like, this, he really, like, solidifies the kind of character he is here, which is kind of sad, because he dies shortly after. And we've been, like, we're supposed to like him before this, too. Like, he has a very important role in the story up to this point, and he's a really great character and a good person, from what we can gather. But this is where, like, he really, really gets to kind of solidify what kind of person he is and really like make us care about him a lot which again right before he dies kind of cruel suzanne collins uh for you to do that to me this his death was really sad and i was like wow like five chapters ago i did not even five like two chapters ago i barely cared about you and now you're dying and i'm like having a moment because of it um but you know that's what she does kind of got to get used to it but Boggs really looks out for Katniss in a way that not a lot of people are and I think I've talked about this before about how like he actually views her as a person and not just a tool like he doesn't just see her as the mockingjay he actually sees her as Katniss and sees Katniss for who she is and he really admires and respects her and like is willing to to follow her despite her only being a 17-year-old or I guess maybe around 18 at this point whatever point being she's very young but he knows that, like, he knows he can't just treat her like a kid because even though she is a young adult/slash teenager, she's still been through a lot and she has a level of maturity that some people kind of never reach at such a young age. And so he doesn't try to treat her like a child. He treats her like an adult, but not in the way that some other people are treating her like an adult, because he still remembers that she's a kid and he still knows that like. how difficult it is to be going through all of this at such a young age. And he is mindful of that while also not being like, okay, now, like, I'm going to explain this to you. And like, you don't understand what's really at stake here. Like he knows she gets it and he knows that he doesn't have to baby her, but he also is not going to just disregard the fact that she's very young. Like some other people have been doing basically being like, Oh, you're the mockingjay. Like you're essentially one of the leaders of this rebellion and we're only going to treat you like that and disregard the fact that you're very young, which I think is really important to kind of balance those two things because it is like important to treat her properly. He actually like tells her that he does believe Coin is trying to kill her or at least wants her dead for many reasons, which we'll get into. But he also is like personally promises her that he's going to look out for her as much as he can. And she doesn't really understand this because she's like she says actually you don't owe me anything, which again it goes back to all the times I've brought up how like everything to her her entire life has been like about owing people and about like paying people back for the things they've done for you. But it takes her a long time to understand why someone would do something good just out of the kindness of their heart. And she does good things Without expecting to get anything back for it all the time, although she's not necessarily conscious of that fact, like she doesn't really see that in herself because it's a really positive thing about her, and we know that she tends to focus more on the negative aspects of herself and her personality. But she does, she doesn't understand why Boggs would be so intent on looking out for her when, like, they don't actually know each other that well, and he doesn't really have any reason to do that. But the reason is because he again sees her as a person values her as a person beyond just being the mockingjay like from a strategic standpoint again if if the mockingjay dies at this point it could she could be used as like a martyr you know like just someone to like prop up and be like oh she died for this fight let's avenge her like that kind of thing which is obviously a part of what coin wants aside from like her personal feelings for katniss from a military and strategic standpoint for like war propaganda that would be good but boggs doesn't see her just as a tool in this war he sees her as a person and so he wants to protect her in that way in that she's a young person who has done a lot of good for people and so deserves to live and he literally says the reason why is because she's earned it with what she's done and he knows that she can't see that but like obviously we as a reader can see that we're like obviously we want her to live just because like we care about her as a character and and just like she's like I said, she's very young. Like, why would you not want her to live? But there is also the aspect of like, look how much she's done for people. She deserves to be able to find something good for herself after this and not have this just end in her death. But he also warns her about coin. And we, we've we had some bad feelings about coin like this whole time. You're always supposed to be wary of her. And we don't, her sort of like end game doesn't really pan out until pretty close to the end of the book so that's going to be a big topic next week but still it's been just like bad vibes and like she'll do stuff and you're like that's not great and she definitely sees Katniss more as like just the Mockingjay than like an actual person who she cares about and this is when Boggs is like because Katniss is like I don't think Coin ever liked me like it's pretty clear that she doesn't really have very positive feelings about Katniss but we don't know exactly why because she's like she's helping her you know and there have been issues where like obviously her coming to her with the demands about like the other tributes and stuff or the other victors and Coin didn't like that very much and there's been some other issues but like enough to want her dead is is a stretch and aside from like the military advantage of like Oh, if we if Katniss dies and we can like use her as a martyr and like rally people throughout the last stages of the fight, like that really morbid idea. But also, and this is what Boggs points out is that the war is going to end one way or another. And I think something really interesting is that Katniss never really thinks about like what's gonna happen after this. Because one, I think there's a big part of her that definitely doesn't think she's getting out of this alive and maybe doesn't even want to and that's something else I'll talk about probably a little later but also just like it's so hard to imagine a world in which the capital is not in control because that's all she's ever known and she almost doesn't want to let herself imagine that because if it doesn't come to be then like it kind of feels like it was for nothing you know so she's never really thought about this aspect of the war but Boggs points it out to her that like there's going to be an election. We all know Coin wants to be the president of Panem. Like that much has been obvious since the first page she was introduced on. But Katniss is going to have a lot of sway in an election because yes, Coin has been like the military leader of the rebellion and she's been doing all the behind the scenes stuff. And even some of the like, like the other leaders from the other districts know her and stuff. But like, and we see this when she comes on TV after Katniss's quote unquote death. To talk about it and coin is like the rebellion doesn't have an actual leader just has this teenager and coin is like hey i'm the leader of the rebellion most people don't know that like most of the soldiers haven't worked directly with coin katniss is the person who they've been following and you know a lot of them would probably vote for coin just like oh she did this whole thing she was already president of 13 like of course we would vote for her and she seems like the logical choice but katniss doesn't really like coin either and coin knows this. And so when it comes time to an election would katniss vote for her we don't really know she hasn't really thought about it but if things continue down the track they're going on chances are she probably wouldn't especially if there was a better alternative which there so is and i even even before knowing the events at the end of this book i'm like there are at least two people i can think of who would make who would be qualified to be the president of panem right now and would be much better at it than coin and I don't think it would take long for Katniss to come to that conclusion, too, that just because Coin has been leading all of this doesn't mean she's the best choice to lead the country, especially if we want real and lasting change from what the previous president has been doing. Maybe she's not the best option, but she is going to have a lot of pull. If she votes for someone who's not Coin. people are going to follow suit. And so that scares Coin. And so the easiest thing for her to do is get Katniss out of the way. But the problem is what she, she, to her, this plan is foolproof. Like Katniss is in the capital, you know, it's, there are so many opportunities for her to die. Now Peta is there, but she doesn't fully understand how much people are willing to follow Katniss and literally die for her. And that's kind of one of her faults because people have been doing it the entire series and and Katniss even doesn't understand why people are so willing to do those things for her. But like we understand and like the people of Panem understand, we understand what kind of like pull she has. And so Coin underestimates that and that like even some of these soldiers from 13 who fully know she's lying about this miss- mission to assassinate Snow, barely know her, but are still willing to sacrifice themselves for her and for her mission and for the future of Pan. And Coin really, really underestimates their willingness to do that for Katniss in particular same with like the way Boggs is looking out for her that's not something she would have anticipated and so it ends up being what fails for her another thing about Boggs though is that when he dies he's like don't trust them kill PETA, do what you came here to do basically saying that like yeah I know your mission is to kill Snow at any cost and I think this is really interesting because obviously like she knows not to trust Coin. Boggs knows that too but like the rest is kind of a, a mystery of like don't trust who, like the rest of the squad, because they do end up helping her, even like reluctantly. But like like Cressida points out, the soldiers from 13 very obviously knew that like she wasn't on some special mission from Coin to assassinate Snow. They knew that was a lie, but they still followed her. And I think that maybe Boggs didn't anticipate that, whatever. We don't know how like much he'd worked with these people before this. Um, but he also does like tell her to kill PETA, which this, this is a different conversation, the topic that I wasn't going to talk about until later, but no, I think I'm going to hold off on that until later. Anyway, my point about Boggs is that he's great. Um, and he really like, he really understood Katniss very well, which is remarkable because they didn't know each other that long or for that or like that well. But I think that he just had this ability to like see beyond the war and see people for who they were outside of being soldiers which is was a really important quality for him to have as their commander we have to talk about the literal one scene in this section that Hamish was in obviously um but also this this is my favorite Hamish and katniss moment in this book it's one of my favorite scenes in this book oh, hey, wait i might be lying guys the Hamish and katniss scene towards the end the iconic scene that if you listen to my Hamid Abernathy episode you know I literally talked about a single line of dialogue for like 15 minutes I feel that it just transcends like being in a ranking of my favorite scenes of theirs because it's just like on a different level so I guess technically that's my favorite but this is is really up there and it's really important anyway that doesn't matter what matters is what actually happens in this scene which is where Katniss gets a call from Hamid being like girl what are you doing like You are you're treating PETA like this is his fault, you're blaming him, you're punishing him, and he doesn't understand that. He doesn't know he doesn't know any better. Like he can't physically or mentally control what he's doing right now. He can't even control his own thoughts. And you are probably the only person who can really help him. We have this whole team of doctors back in 13. We have people who knew PETA before, people who have been working their whole lives in this sort of like field of science, medical, whatever. But the greatest point of confusion for him is his experiences with Katniss. And she's the only one who could speak to most of that because so much of that was just the two of them. Even though a lot of it was for the cameras, a lot of the like actual emotional stuff between them was one-on-one, no one else was there and no one else can explain it to him better than she can. And she's been not treating him the greatest. And I don't think, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, how could she do that to him? Because I I understand that like this, there's no... There's no right way to handle this situation like no one has ever experienced something like this before and there's no one to kind of guide her and be like this is how you should be behaving right now. But Hamish is doing his best because he understands what kind of person Katniss is and he also acknowledges like how difficult the situation this is for her to be in and how it could definitely feel easier for her to just kind of like let Peter go except that he's never coming back which might be better for her in the long run the problem is that she also has to consider his feelings and that's she hasn't really been doing that up to this point and i love this this scene because it's it's a real wake-up call for her of like i've i've been thinking only about how to handle this for myself and not even thinking about what kind of horrible state Peta has been living in and so she Realizes that she really does need to help him, and that's why I love this scene because it's so pivotal and it changes all of her interactions with him going forward in a very, very deliberate and obvious way as a reader. And also because, see, you knew this had to be one of my favorite scenes because it calls back to my actual favorite scene between them in Catching Fire, where they make their deal to kind of save Peter no matter what the cost. And Haymitch in this scene is like, "We made a deal to try and save him, remember?" oh my god see Mockingjay is just on its own level in terms of like the connections to the other books like quotes and stuff that come back up which is always one of my favorite things because I love a good like tie-in to uh, two books ago one random line that seemed kind of throwaway and then all of a sudden it's like super important I I eat that up every time so it makes sense why (laughs) these are some of my favorite scenes also, uh, no, actually, my I will save my deleted scenes rant for when I have an entire deleted scenes segment in the episodes that I'm gonna do for the movies. Because oh my god, every day I wake up in like a fit of anger when I think about this one. Um, but we will get there. Believe me, I will be I'll be yelling if I'm not yelling when I talk about the mocking J Part 2 deleted scenes. I will be shocked but as I said this is a real turning point in Katniss's treatment of PETA which is how we get the the scene where she's like oh my god where he's like your favorite color is green and and then she starts like listing off things about him that seem so small and insignificant but she's helping him rebuild his identity and every little fact is important but also the fact that she even retained all of these little things girl you don't even realize that you're literally in love with him and it drives me insane like you don't notice stuff like that about someone that you don't love like these little details of his personality and like random things that he does like double knotting his shoelaces or like sleeping with the windows open are so small such small details that would seem insignificant but the fact that she noticed and remembers them and she's just listing them. She's not thinking because all of this stuff is just like, she just knows it off the top of her head because she's really been paying attention to him more than she thinks, which is so funny because in the first book she says, and I haven't been as oblivious to him as I might've thought or something like that. Acknowledging that she's paid a lot closer attention to him than she thought. And now it's happening again. This is why I'm like, they're literally the greatest romance ever written because like, You can't, like, no other ship could ever compare. No other ship could have a moment like that. And it's partially just because of, like, the tragic circumstance. Like, how could you possibly recreate that in another circumstance? But just, it makes me insane. And it's the way she doesn't even realize how she really feels about him for so long. But as a reader, reader, you're like, oh my god, it's the most obvious thing ever that she's in love with him. And she doesn't even know. And it makes me crazy. Also, another oh my god oh my god another a great scene between them possibly the Everlark moment of this book is after like the mutts attack and he's kind of losing it and he's like I can't keep doing this and she at first is like I'm gonna have to kill him now like I don't have a choice and Snow's gonna win and then she's like no we're not letting Snow win again not today and so she literally kisses him and then it says, stay with me. But then, but then he says always, which first of all, I talked, I think literally last week about the like, when when he put her to bed that one time and she said, stay with me. And he said always, but she didn't catch it. And then in this book, she realized like, that's what he said. And I talked about how like, he was making a commitment to her beyond like their commitment to the capital or to Panam Like that was just a very personal thing. But also it means that that moment lived in his memory. And like he's he has kept a hold of that moment as being real and, and being significant because the second she says, stay with me, he says always again, the exact same thing that he said to her in that moment. He's, he's making that commitment to her all over again. And he's, okay, sorry. Sorry, I'm literally yelling. I'm literally going crazy. But mm, see, here's one of the things that, that can that comes with the situation that he's found himself in is that he falls in love with her for a second time he forgets and i and this is where the like i must have loved you a lot thing comes in where like he used to love her and then he kind of lost that through the hijacking and now he's like gaining it back but he's falling in love with her all over again and so when we get to this moment he is making that commitment to her again a- and sort of reaffirming that promise that would have been lost with everything that's happened to him and he's like putting himself back in like, yes, I love you. And I am sort of vowing to be there for you beyond like whatever the Capitol expects of us, whatever the rebels expect of us, whatever is that he's going to be there for her, no matter what the circumstances. And so he's reaffirming that in this moment when he like is literally losing his grip on reality, literally like he, he is so close to his breaking point, And that is the thing that draws him back oh my god that is literature that is literature it (sighs) anyway sorry i just got like so worked up about that but it oh it really gets me it really gets me also again with the connections to the earlier books can i just say when he when he pulls out the i know what blood poisoning is katniss even though even if my mom wasn't a healer jaw on the floor Because again, that line is so seemingly insignificant. Like in the first book, it's just like a line. And there's so much going on and you're like, oh yeah. But here it means so much more than that. Because again, it's like those, those moments are coming back to him. And so every time he says something that is a reference to something he said earlier, it's not only like as a reader, like, oh my God, I remember when that happened, that's crazy. But it's also like him piecing those things back together. It's the same when he says like, I think you still have no idea the effect you can have. I just personally love that one because I love when he first says that line. It's one of my favorite things ever when he says it to image in the first book. And again, it goes with the whole, like he's falling in love with her all over again. Crazy. Now we have to talk about more sad things in re- in regards to Peter Mlark, unfortunately. We talked about all my fun little romantic things, um, but he repeatedly within this section asks, to die, basically. He asks them to kill him. He has Gail specifically to kill him, which, like, I'm not even going to read into that. Um, <laughs> I have, but we we simply don't have time. But he, he like, asks them to kill him many times. He asks for a nightlock pill because he, it's one, because he doesn't want to hurt anyone else because he still has, has enough of his old self to know that he doesn't want to be hurting people, but he can't help it. And so... And there's also a component to this of, like, one, Katniss kind of understands because she has these moments, too. And it's really, like, dark and upsetting that these are feelings that they're experiencing and having to deal with. And, like, this, this like, really genuinely not wanting to be alive anymore because of how bad things are, even though we're, like, kind of getting close to the end of this war. And we don't really know yet if, like, the rebels are winning or the capitals winning because they're kind of off in their own little, like, mission right now. But, like, even with the thought of, or like the hope of an ending to this war in which they win and things are better. neither of them really sees that. And, and so, and Peta can't really see like himself getting better and, and stuff like that. And so I think it's really upsetting that, that they can understand each other in that. And like really understand why the other person would not want to be alive anymore. But she always says, no, she always says, no, we're not going to kill you. We're not going to let you have a nightlock pill. And she does recognize that some of that is out of her hatred for Snow. And, like, you know, to kill Peta would be letting him win. And she really doesn't want to do that. She's not going to let him take this this person away from her that she really loves, despite how much he has tried. She's not going to let that happen. And so, in some ways, she's kind of playing her own game here. And it's not necessarily fair to Pita, But I also do think that there is a component to it of, like, she really loves him. And that's... God, a Gail Hawthorne idiot. I'm sorry, that came out of nowhere, but I promise my mind was just ahead of my what I was talking about. But I was thinking about when he's like, can't going to pick whoever she can't survive with? Shut up. That makes me so mad. And I'll probably talk more about it later. Um, but it's not that it's that she'll pick, she'll choose if you want to say it that way, whoever she can't live without, which is a very, very different thing because it implies love, whereas survive without just imply survival it's like who is going to be who is going to be the most beneficial to my survival and that's not there's no like feeling there and I think that's a lot of gail's like misunderstanding of her is that he thinks that she thinks the same way he does which in a lot of ways she does but there is a a key difference there and he never really can see that about her especially because it has developed more throughout what she's been through and he doesn't really understand that because he he didn't experience any of those things But to live without someone is like, yes, she could theoretically survive without Gail or without PETA, but her life without PETA specifically, because obviously that's like, we're not team Gail here. Like, sorry, like could never be me. Um, and we've like seen it of the times they've been separated of the time she's almost lost him. Like she would survive. Yes. But it would not be good at all. And I'm not saying that she could lose Gail and be like, oh, whatever, like, it doesn't matter. It would be difficult. Yes. And it would be a, a difficult grieving process, but it would not compare to the way it, like she would be without PETA. But on top of that, I think that, I guess I'll just get into this whole conversation between them. The idea, the like the idea of viewing love as like, I, I only know love when I'm confronted with loss is a real, is like the wrong way to Go look at it, especially in a romantic context of like realizing that you love someone when you are faced with the threat of losing them is it's a real thing. And I think a lot, it actually is kind of what happens to Katniss with Peeta is that like she kind of loses who he used to be, and it makes her realizes realize how much she actually loved him and and does love him. But it can't just be that. It can't just be a fear of losing someone. It has to also be like they improve your life, you enjoy being around them, they make you happy. And those are things that can't really be said about gail and can be said about Peta. maybe not right now with everything that he's going through but like look at all the moments between them there are so many moments between katniss and pita where they were like working on the book or having the picnic on the roof where she just is like happy to be in his presence and have him around her there's not really that with gail they do and they did enjoy their time in the woods yes but a lot of that is like emotional baggage and just like out of a need for survival and like they've been hunting partners their whole lives and so long story short i don't even remember what i was talking about when i started talking about this oh i was talking about like patniss's understanding of why Peta wants to die and and why she wants to keep him alive but my original point was that like she sort of is like am i just doing this because i want to get back at snow or, or am i doing it for Peta, or am i just doing it for me and i think that it can be a combination of all three um which some of those are selfish reasons yes but it's also because like she really cares about him and wants him to stay alive um and so she kind of has is trying to balance like what he wants with what she wants especially now when she's now like really aware of the way she's been treating him and like being selfish about it she wants to kind of even that out but she's not just gonna let him die i do also complete change of subject uh want to talk about like this there's this, like, psychological component to war that I love that Suzanne Collins really gets into. Um, because the whole series and even Ballad, are, they're all about war on some level. Even when there's not an active war going on, it's always in in a lot of ways about that. And I've talked about, like, the actual, like, repercussions of war, the consequences, stuff like that, different viewpoints on it. But there's also this really deeply psychological component to it especially in this series when everything to the capital is kind of like a game and even to like some of the people in 13 it's the same way like how can we win at this game but the actual like reality and i think that that's what's so like genius about this series is that it's always like the hunger games it's all just a game it's just for fun but like people are literally dying and so then when you transition from like Oh, the Capitol puts on this Hunger Games every year where 24 tributes go in and only one comes out to like this is a war, people are dying. There's no limit on that. And then like it's extremely real and it's like right in your face. But in terms of like the psychological component to it, and I'm I what made me start thinking about this was the mutts smelling like roses and her kind of thinking back to like all the previous mutts they've encountered, like the wolves that had the eyes of the dead tributes, the, the jabber jays that would recreate the screams of your loved ones, like things that are meant to hurt you not physically. And obviously these mutts like literally rip people's heads off. Like they are very much designed to hurt her physically, but weakening someone psychologically is also a big part of what the Capitol does. I mean, look at Peeta. He literally like got his he got his whole identity like stripped away from him and has didn't even like, has no idea what's going on in his own mind anymore and like physically you know he he was tortured yes but like physically he was okay like he survived he didn't have any like long-term physical damage done by the capitals hijacking but mentally he is completely broken and and like in in a lot of ways that is even more that is even harder to come back from because you can't just like go in and fix it and it's like with the jabber jays like Afterwards, when Pia's trying to help Katniss, she's, like, appreciative of his help, yes, but this isn't something that she can just, like, put medicine on or, like, stitch up or put a bandage on or, like, the Capitol can use some fancy medicine. The mental stuff is so much harder to get past. And that's why, like, even at the end of the series, when, like, the war is over, they're trying to recover. Even after her physical wounds have been healed, she's not okay and she's not better because because she has such substantial amounts of trauma that she has been through. And that stuff doesn't just go away and you can still work at that stuff. Like, like mental health treatment is obviously very real and can be done, but it is a real challenge and you have to commit to doing that. And like, especially in a world where we know some people never committed to doing that, like look at Hamish, he chose to drown it out with alcohol. And because of that never actually got better. And now he has to live with that for the rest of his life. And the actual, like, l- really, really lasting impact of this war on people mentally is something that's not just going to go away and it's going to be felt throughout the entire country. And so I think that, like, the capital's ability to, like, target your weaknesses and your fears and, like, instill fear in people in the deepest ways, in the ways that is going to last, even even if they lose, even if the rebels win, that mark will still be there. And I think that that's like a real thing in war in the real world too. So I think it's really crucial that it is explored. And I like this way that it's like, yeah, okay. Rose scented lizard mutts that rip people's heads off aren't really a thing that we've seen in war in the real world. But like, we know what's, we get the point. We get what Suzanne Collins is trying to tell us here. And we understand the real world implications. And it's like the same thing with like, I talked about uh, peta's hijacking but just like the other ways in which they tortured him like i in this we find out what happened to darius and lavinia the two a boxes darius obviously being their friend from 12 and lavinia being the girl from from out in the woods like the ways that they were tortured and killed in front of pita just to break him down stuff like that where it's like there are ways to hurt people without physically hurting them in ways that can do much more damage than anything physical could a lot of the time and again going back to this kind of ties back to like what i um was talking about with, with pita like repeatedly being like i i want to die please just let me die or like give me a night like whatever katniss also has this really like strong desire to sacrifice herself and i don't think it's in sometimes we get characters who are like i want to make some grand sacrifice i want to be hero it's not that it's she she her reason for killing Snow, obviously, we know, like, we know why she wants to kill him, especially personally. Um, and that like desire for revenge is something that can be really strong. And she talks about that a lot too. But in terms of like the actual, like, she she really doesn't plan on getting out of this war alive. Like with the mutts, she was like, I'll I'll go off in one direction, you guys go the other, and like they'll, they'll go after me. Or like her plan, her idea for a plan of like, I'll get captured by the capital and then hopefully Snow will come out for the execution and then like Gail can shoot him. And every time people are like, no, we're not doing that. But a lot of it comes from what I talked about earlier, one, about how like seeing a world after the war is extremely difficult for her. And so it's kind of easier to just not think about and to be like, well, I'm going to be dead by then anyway. But also she doesn't want anyone else to die for her. And she is so she she feels that she has this long line of destruction in her wake of people that have died for her strangers friends you name it and that's why like she confesses to everyone that this mission was made up and she's like everyone who died died because of me because they were following me and i was lying and like and and of course everyone is like we all knew that we followed you because we believe in you and because we all want to see snow dead too and we and like we believe in this cause. But to her, it is always like, no, they died because of me, especially when it's for something that she's kind of leading or she's like in charge of or, or it was her idea. And so she has been carrying this guilt that's just been piling up and piling up. And she, it's almost like her way of like, I don't want to say atonement because I kind of hate that. But this idea that like so many people have died because of me, the, the least I can do is die for them, not in like a need to be a hero way, but just for like, I can like that's the way that I can almost make it up to them, even though it won't really. But like, if she were to die killing Snow, or if she were to die saving other people, it's like at least she saved someone, which is obviously not like the way you want to be thinking about things. And like as a reader, we can acknowledge that that is not healthy or actually going to help anyone to have her die. But like for her, I think that line of thinking tracks and like is is in character for her to be feeling that way. Even though it is really like hard to read and really upsetting, and it's something that like continually gets worse too. Okay, we actually, you know, who we have to talk about? Tigris and I. Okay, this is this is not a spoiler for Ballad because you literally find it out on the first page of the novel. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. Literally, page one. Tigris is Snow's cousin. When I first read that, I was screaming. It was literally the day that book came out, because you know I was at the bookstore, and, like, bright and early, ready to read this book. And I opened it up, and I was like, blah, blah, blah Tigress, because Snow's cousin. And I was like, uh, oh, Tigress, the stylist of Snow's cousin? It's crazy, and it makes reading this scene make me feel insane. Also, Tigress is one of my favorite characters in Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and so now reading this and seeing her makes me so emotional, especially because of, like, their relationship in that book etc we all talk about it but I just did have to bring up that connection because it makes me actually feel crazy and it just adds so much more context to the scene and makes me be like mm, so true but I do love her a lot and I I love that like you know when you first read this you're like, oh it's great that she's helping them she's a little weird honestly she's kind of interesting I wonder why she hates snow so much and then you kind of move on and you're like whatever but then you read Ballad and you're like, oh my gosh this is crazy but yeah i really do love her and i i love that she gets to be a part of this rebellion especially again given the context of ballad. like good for her (laughs) and she also really does want Snow dead more than anything which again if you haven't read it yet and you're like she's his cousin and she wants him dead so bad and i'm like yeah says a lot (laughs) but she also i think is another person who like really believes in katniss herself and what she's been doing it kind of kind of brings up that like when tigris was a a stylist she was like the pinnacle of like capital citizen like she everyone in the capital loved her she was so like into the games into her job as a stylist not in the way that like cinna like is a really good stylist yes but very much is using it to like make an anti-capital statement that was not tigers at all which i do think is very interesting especially given what we know about her stance and her personality now having ballad of song and snakes and she's 21 in that book and so obviously a lot of time has passed 65 years which does mean that she's like 86 in this but that's neither here nor there <laughs> again she's had so much plastic surgery done anyway that it's like what would you even be able to tell hold she is but yeah, it's so, so fascinating to me. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I will have much to say about her. Okay, last thing I had to talk about that I already kind of talked about a bit, but is this conversation between Gail and Peta at the end of this section? Girl, Gail, when I get my hands on you. Because this whole conversation is Peta being like, no, no, Katniss really loves you. Like, trust me. I I know she loves you. I can see it. And like all a lot of the stuff between us was just for show, whatever. And Gail said in this conversation is, like, is, like, oh, but she, he, oh, my God. When he's, like, first of all, he's, like, I should have volunteered to take your place in the first games. And Peta's like, no, you shouldn't because you needed to be there to protect her family, which, like, so true. And, like, he's literally right. And Gail didn't even think about that part of it. And I also don't, th- and I'm not going to, like, sit here and be, like, and act like Peta handled this conversation as best as he could because I don't necessarily think he did but we have to take into account that PETA has literally been hijacked and Gail is just Gail okay and so yeah it's a little like when Gail's like she's gonna choose whoever she can't survive without you would think PETA would be like ah, no like kind of defend her a bit and he doesn't which I'm like maybe you should have but again he's just trying to figure it out right now so like I'll cut him a bit of slack Gail I will cut you no slack absolutely none because it also feels like 20 now, okay? I'm, I'm 19, okay? And I would not, I know better than to do the stuff that he's been doing this whole series, really, but like, even right now. So what's his excuse? I would love to know. It's just such a messed up statement to be like, she's, she's going to choose whoever she can't survive without. Not everything is about survival. I know that you think it is, but it's not. And I think that that is an important lesson that Katniss has actually had to learn because I think the Katniss at the beginning of the series might very well have ended up with Gale. Like if she had stayed exactly the same. Which I actually think is really important and it makes it more interesting to see how she has grown and changed and you also see how like their relationship changes especially in this book and even a bit in Catching Fire. But like, not everything is about survival, and she has to learn that like there has got to be you know like, like I said last week, experiencing joy is important, and like love is important. Things that like often you get kind of swept to the side in in a situation like this. But like in the idea that there is a world after this war where like we don't have to be thinking about war all the time, it's it has to be about more than survival. It has to be about happiness. It has to be about love, and it has to be about who is going to like. Support you, and those are things that like Gail will never be able to provide for her in a way that PETA can, and she will never be able to feel for Gail in the way that she does for PETA. Also, okay, Katniss is so much better than me because if I were overhearing this conversation, I would have sat up and be like, Oh, excuse me, like, there, I I would have started a fight, I would have started a fight to be fair, I would have started like five million fights with Gail by this point. Um, but yeah, if this one conversation, like. I don't understand how people, how real people on this earth can be like, I was team Gale. Aren't you embarrassed? Aren't you embarrassed? Because first of all, you're never supposed to be team Gale. Like even just reading the book, it's not like you're supposed to be like, oh my God, this, this love triangle is so dramatic. I wonder who she's gonna pick. Oh my God, I hope it's Gale. It's so obvious that she could never have ended up with him and like been happy. It's so obvious. It's literally right there on the page. It's right there on the page. And I I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I see people be like, oh, I get how people who like only watch the movies would be like Team Gale, whatever. And I'm like, I guess. I still don't really get it. But like, okay. But like in the book, it's so painfully obvious to me that you're never supposed to be rooting for her to end up with Gale. Absolutely never. And I don't understand why some people did. I really don't. Because it's not just com- this conversation, there's like a billion moments, Some something like this happens where you're like, Gail is, that's not it. Like you shouldn't be saying that, you shouldn't be doing that in terms of their like personal relationship. We're not even gonna get into things he says and does outside of that, but like within their quote unquote romantic, not romantic relationship to each other and even their friendship, like you shouldn't be doing these things. <laughs> And like, why would you want her to end up with someone who said or did those things? I don't get it. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. Next week is the first week of the month, so I'll be doing my monthly character study episode, and this one will be on Joanna Mason. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening and I'll be back next week.